Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of God. We want to be like the Bereans, who receive the Scriptures with all joy, and then search the Scriptures to see whether or not those things are true. We want to make sure that we're not just approaching Scripture to try to back up what we believe, but we want to find out what we believe that comes through the Scriptures. The Bible says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. Our first question today comes from a previous Q&A where Violet Stagg had asked a question about faith and healing. Can you have enough faith that you will be healed no matter what? And what part does faith play in healing. I don't remember the question word for word, Violet Stagg, and I hope that you are able to be here, uh, that you can hear the answer to this. But I really do appreciate you guys. If you have a question, then you can write the word question and then write out your question, reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. Also add the references, the Bible references, and we'll be able to take time uh, to look them up. But how does faith and healing work. First of all, Jesus said that if you have enough faith, you can move mountains. The disciples said, increase our faith. And Jesus said, how long have I been with you? If you have enough faith, the faith of the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So we know it's a small amount of faith. It's not about gaining more faith. It's about using the faith that you have and mountains will be moved. We also know that that was an analogy. Because when's the last time that you saw a tree removed into the sea, which is one thing Jesus said, or a mountain removed into the sea? He's talking about mountains in your life. Things that cannot be moved are going to be moved if you have enough faith. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Uh, and the faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews chapter one. So we have to have faith to be able to respond. And I see that Violet, Violet Stagg uh, just uh, signed on. Uh, we're answering your question from the last uh, Q&A, Violet Stagg. Uh, we're talking about healing and faith and the part that that plays. So we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we have to be seeking God. I need to get my this out of the teleprompter. Uh, we need to be seeking God in order uh, and through faith to really please him. But the question is, does God always want us healed? And I think we've got to answer that first of all, because it is so sad that there is this teaching out there by the prosperity movement that they teach that God always wants you healed and that God wants you rich. And the reason that this is sad is because they are taking advantage of people who are sick and they are taking advantage of people who are poor. In fact, it is probably the doctrine and the false teaching that I feel the strongest about. God does heal, and we can call out to him and ask him to heal. But also, God chooses whom he will heal and whom he will not heal. And they misuse and twist scripture, and they use techniques to be able to persuade people that they are being healed in order to make money. And I'm quite sure that God is extremely displeased with these people that do such things. A lot of times they're using adrenaline. 
that get people fired up and someone's got a problem with their leg or a problem with their back. And then when adrenaline hits, they don't feel it anymore. Just the way that I could stub my toe, but as I'm hopping around on my toe, I suddenly look on my dresser and there's a big spider on it that I turn around and get out of that room because I don't like spiders. Because my adrenaline kicked in, I didn't feel my toe anymore. And that's the way that God has made us so that we can have that adrenaline when we are when we are facing situations of life and that is misused by these faith healers. Uh, now, again, that's not saying that God doesn't heal, but God but they take people that are going through extreme real difficulties and they take advantage of them. Think about Jesus in Mark chapter one. Jesus is healing people uh, and he heals all, I think he heals all night long um, in Mark one. And I wanna go to, I think I wanna pull this up on the screen for you if I can find this verse. I meant to look it up earlier. So Mark one, I wanna go to verse 36, I think. Um, yeah, so Jesus has been healing people in verse 34. Let me bring this up on the screen for you. So in verse 34, it says, then he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he did not allow demons to speak because he knew them. So he delivered many people. And imagine that. Imagine people that had been sick of diseases and had demons, and now they were set free. And so then it says in verse 35, now in the morning had risen, uh, a long while before daylight, he went and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I might preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. The healings were a sign of his messiahship, but the reason he came forth was to preach the gospel. And today, Jesus sets people free, forgives them of their sins, but it doesn't mean he always heals. In fact, the verse that they use, that above all things, God would, that you would be, um, that you would be in good, prosper and be in good health. Uh, I think that's John 1, Third uh, uh, John 1, and I'm going to pull that one up on the screen as well, because uh, there's just one chapter here. Uh, and so this is the verse that's often misused. They, they take passages under the law. If you could keep the law wholeheartedly, if you would have never had a problem with the law, then you would have been healed completely. That's the blessings of the law. And so you've got some of the Psalms that talk about the law and the blessings of God healing all of your diseases, but they didn't keep the law. And so they were under the curse of the law. And that was Deuteronomy 27. So here they misuse this verse where John writes, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper on all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified the truth that is in you. So this is a greeting from John to his friend Gaius. And they don't tell you that. That's context. They say that God wants you healed. Here's the thing. Paul himself had an infirmity and wasn't healed of it. Prayed three times to be delivered from the thorn in the flesh. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And so we do know, Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. We do know that Paul had the legitimate gift of healing or gifts of healings, but he didn't heal everyone. Faith is putting trust in what God says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10.10. 10. 
So when I read something in God's word and I put my trust in what God has said, then I receive the promises of God because of what he said. The Bible says, by faith, the children of Israel kept the Passover. That means that by faith, the death angel passed over their house and didn't kill their firstborn son. So you take two people, one of them doesn't really believe the Passover story from Moses. He's like, you want me to kill a lamb that I've had in my house for a few days? And you want me to smear the blood on the doorpost? What an absolutely bloody thing to do. Just bloody, and I, I, I don't know that I'm gonna do it, but I do like my firstborn son, and he said he'd be killed, and so I'm gonna do it. But he doesn't really believe it's gonna do anything. And so he kills the lamb, and he maybe even out of anger, smears the blood on the doorpost, but he's got a neighbor. And when he hears from Moses that he has to smear the blood of this lamb that has been kept in his house on the doorpost for the death angel to pass over or his firstborn son is going to die, he immediately does exactly what Moses said. He believes it 100%. He's not angry, but believing that this is God's way of rescuing his son. Now, the question is, when that death angel passed over, which one had their house passed over? Which one saved their firstborn son? They both did because they both did it. That's why faith is not confidence. It's trusting God's word enough to do it. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when you read God that gives you a promise and you put your trust in it, then you know you can believe it. So never does the Bible say that God is going to heal you all of the time. It doesn't mean that God doesn't heal. God certainly does heal. But you take people like Joni, Eric, um, Joni Erickson Tata, and she has been her whole life in a wheelchair, and she's been prayed for many times, and God hasn't healed her. And she talks about having faith and believing and knowing that God has a purpose for her where she's at. It doesn't mean we don't pray to be healed. We do. We pray that God would heal. We anoint with oil, and God does heal. However, God also heals some people by taking them into heaven, and God also has it for them to be here on earth with whatever the sickness is that they're facing and going through. God has a perfect plan. God is good and God is loving. Yet the Bible doesn't give us these kind of promises. And these faith healers, and if you just go and look up faith healing, faith and healing, you're going to get all of these pictures of Benny Hinn and Peter Popoff and V.W. Grant and all of these people that have taken advantage of people who were sick. Now, I have a personal story with this, Violet Stag. I, um, my, my dad was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, that's ALS, when I was 10. Uh, he was 220 pounds, six foot one, 220 pounds. And um, he got sick. And before he died, he was 98 pounds. When he was still mobile and had just been diagnosed with it, VW Grant had come to town. And we went to this faith healing service. And he called people up and he healed them in front of our eyes. People that had legs that were wrong sizes or people who couldn't hear or people that couldn't see and claimed that they were healed. And then people stood in line and my dad stood in line and my dad was prayed for by him. And my dad felt better and you could see the change for a while, but the ALS wasn't gone. We had given money to them when the Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets had gone by for us to put money into these buckets for them. And this is why they're doing it. So what goes on in these faith healing movements? 
Well, they hand select people who may not be 100% blind or 100% deaf, but they are legally blind and deaf. They bring people, they'll wait at the door for someone to come in uh, who is looks feeble and they'll say, or have a cane and they'll say, hey, let me put you in a wheelchair. We've got a place for you up front. And they'll move them up front and then they'll bring them up on stage and they'll say, stand and walk. And then they get up out of the wheelchair and they walk. Some people, because of the adrenaline feel better, some people, because they were hand selected to be the right kind of people that could be used to make it look this way. And it's all about money. And um, all of this has been checked out and proven. And I'm not saying that God doesn't heal because he does. I'm just saying that these faith healers are taking advantage of sick people. And what an absolute horrible thing to do. They take care of the, they, they take advantage of the poor as well, because it's the poor that will listen to their message. If you plant a seed of faith, then God will give back to you and you will become rich. God wants you rich. It's the poor, the lovers of money who are caught up in this. And oftentimes it's the poor that need money. They're not lovers of money, but they need money that are caught up in it. So let's talk about how faith connects with healing. So you, you have an illness and you read in the Bible that it says to go to the elders of the church and have them anoint you with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And so you go and you pray and you believe that God, you're, you're getting anointed with oil by faith and you're not healed. What does that mean? That means that it wasn't God's plan for you to be healed, that God has a plan for you in the sickness, not to deliver you. Remember, we're living for eternity. We're living our lives here for eternity. Again, that doesn't mean God doesn't heal. God does heal. When my wife had gotten sick with lung cancer, and it was stage four lung cancer, and we anointed her with oil and we prayed for her. She told me, I saw a vision of the eyes of Jesus. And she really thought she was healed. And the first method of chemotherapy worked really well. And all evidence of the cancer had been removed, but it came back again. And she came to the point to realize that God was going to take her home, heal her completely by taking her home. She had faith that she could believe so much so that she believed that she had been healed. And when I would say all evidence of the cancer is gone, she would correct me. The cancer is gone, but the cancer wasn't gone. And the Lord took her to go be home 10 years ago, December chapter 12, I mean, uh, 10 years ago on December 15th, God took her to go and be with the Lord. And um, then my grieving process started. Didn't mean I didn't have enough faith. It didn't mean she didn't have enough faith. It meant that God has plans, 100% mortality, the mortality rate is 100%. And some people live longer than they, they should. And some people die younger. And there's all kinds of tragedies that happen. And I've always said of these faith healers, if they really could heal anybody, they, then, then they should be going into the hospitals and healing everybody. But the ministry of Jesus proves he could have healed anyone. But there was a guy sitting by the temple when Peter and John went in to pray in the book of Acts that had sat there for how many years and Jesus never healed him. Jesus didn't heal everyone and he doesn't heal everyone, but we do have faith and faith is powerful. And when we believe in what God says, then we can move mountains and there are mountains in our lives that are moved, mountains of sin that are taken away and things are made right with God, which is far more important than whether or not our bodies are healed. So I hope that answers uh, your question 
Violet Stag, and you, please feel free to give us a, a follow through if you have another question about it or follow up. Uh, if you have another question about it, I'd love to talk about this topic more. Uh, Paul having the gift of healing, not being healed of his own infirmity. And the word that he uses for infirmity is where we get infirmary from. It means sickness. And um, then there were people who were genuinely healed that had faith that were healed. And I think we've got to have faith if we're going to be healed. But if we have faith and we trust in God and we're not healed, then we need to continue to put our trust in God and know that God's got something else in store for us. All right. So thank you very much, uh, Violet Stag. I really appreciate that. I'm glad you were able to get here, by the way, uh, to be able to hear the answer to your question that we could not get to in our last uh, Q&A. So again, good to see you guys. Glad to have you here. We have another question from Melissa. Melissa says, also, if I you had gotten a new age tattoo before you got saved, God will forgive that, right? Should I have it removed and satisfy him? All right, Melissa, thank you. I don't know if I missed another one. So you said also if. So maybe I'll, I'll look back and see if you had another question there, Melissa. Um, all right, so you have a tattoo that is a new age tattoo which we know that's something that God wants us to stay completely away from because it is, it, it's false. It's a false teaching. It's a false, not just a false doctrine. It's false believing. It's, it's a false faith in itself, the new age movement. And yeah, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so you are not condemned because you have a tattoo that has some kind of a symbol on it. And whether or not you remove that tattoo that's up to you. You have freedom. If you go, it doesn't bother me. It's a reminder of me. Uh, I'm I'm assuming it's here. <laughs> so it's a reminder to me of where God's brought me from. And I don't believe it at all. Now, if it were me, I would put another tattoo over it. I would have the tattoo removed. Um, I, know I had not having a tattoo is not a sin. So I would have, I would do something along those lines to be able to remove it. That's me. Um, that doesn't mean that you have to do that because I don't think that the Bible ever says that. What if somebody in the in in Old Testament times had cut themselves for Baal and then turned to God and they had somehow had a scar? It didn't mean that they could never be right with God. Um, so you could, if you want to, have that uh, have that tattoo removed or tattoo something over it. My son had the tattoo name of a, of a girlfriend, one of his early girlfriends on his chest. And I wouldn't let him get a tattoo before he was 18 years old. And he comes walking down the hallway, I think he was 17, and just have a shirt on. He's got the name across his chest. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, <gasps> and he ended up, of course, not marrying this gal, marrying someone else. And he ended up putting a tribal tattoo that comes up over his shoulder and covers the chest part. And, um, he said it was so incredibly painful when they got around the collarbone, putting this huge tribal tattoo on. So, uh, yeah, I guess he learned. Um, I might have been able to help him out. Um, so, yeah, Melissa, I, it's it's so good that you have been delivered from the New Age movement and all of their lies. I'm so glad that you found the truth. And um, I know that you know what, what, what it is and what it came from. And you're able to help people out of it. And um, who knows how God might be able to use this uh, for his name and for his sake and for his glory. Um, but you say, should I have it removed to satisfy him? Yeah, if you feel like God 
want you to remove it, then remove it. Because if you believe God's telling you something and then you don't do it, then that's sin. Then that's rebellion. Um, as I said, I would remove it, but I don't think I would remove, I wouldn't remove it because I would feel like I had to. I would remove it because I don't want that new age thing on my body anymore. But that's, you know, that's me. So um, I really, uh, really appreciate that. Uh, Daniel, good to see you here. Uh, Daniel says, uh, let me go ahead and bring this in. Daniel says, question, Peter and Paul had unique healing experiences. People healed with Peter's shadow and Paul's sweatband. Is this evidence that God gives power to certain objects to heal and perform miracles? No, I don't think that it was the object that had the power in it. For example, the shadow or the handkerchief. Those were points of faith where the people received it from apostles that God was establishing the church and showing their power by their healing. I think that just like Jesus had healing power because he was the Messiah and they were signs of who he was, that happened with the apostles as well. And it seems like it happened for a certain amount of time, but then as some time went on, it didn't happen like it did before. I don't know how you explain the ability of Peter's shadow to fall on people and then later on, Paul not being able to just tell Timothy through a letter, hey, I sent you this letter, then your stomach is healed. But instead, take a little wine for your stomach. So I don't think that these objects had it. Um, but I'll tell you what, Daniel, faith healers have learned how to use this. They'll send, they'll sell knots for, you know, whatever, $99.99. You buy the knot, you make the donation, and then we'll untie, untie that knot over your knee or your heart or whatever the problem is. They'll be healing or a handkerchief with a handprint on it, or Roberts did that. Put it on your knee, put it on your, you know, your shoulder, and you got my hand on you praying for you uh, to be healed. And um, all of these things were gimmicks to be able to make money. Objects do not have the ability to be able to heal. God was using them as a point of faith in people's lives, and they connected with someone who was had the gift of healing at that time for the ministry that they were doing as apostles as they were laying the foundation of the church. All right. Thank you for that um, on-topic question, by the way. I appreciate that. Uh, we have a question from Jari. Jari, good to see you. Question, is it okay for someone to take communion for the purpose of healing or is taking it in an unworthy manner, not just salvation, but God promised physical healing as well. Uh, is fear a spirit? All right, so um, let me just do this and we'll answer them one at a time. Jar, you got a couple of questions in here. Um, is it okay for someone to take communion for the purpose of healing? Um, my, I, I'm gonna say no to that. I mean, God, God's not going to, if someone's coming and saying, I want to take communion because I want to be healed, and this is their point of faith, then God might heal them. Just like someone who's sick might go to a Peter Popoff or Benny Hinn crusade, and they might call out to God and God might heal them for the sake of the faith of the individual, not for the sake of the one who's putting on the scam. Uh, but we should not tell people, go to take communion to be healed, because that's not what communion is about. Communion is a covenant cup. We enter into the new covenant with Christ. It is uh, a symbol of his blood and his body. It takes us back to the cross. It recenters us on Christ. And the Corinthians who had taken communion in an unworthy manner were going into wherever they were having communion and they were drinking all the wine and getting drunk. 
and they were eating the bread. And that's one of the reasons that we know that some, uh, some will say that you couldn't get drunk on the wine that they had, but they got, were getting drunk on it. And, and Paul said, for this reason, some of you have died and some of you are sick. So when they were taking an unworthy manner, some of them were sick and dying. And from this, we examine ourselves to make sure that everything is right. We do not want to approach the Lord's table in any kind of sinful, self-seeking way. And so that's what would scare me about going to the Lord's table to be healed. You're going for a different reason than, than to recenter the church around the cross. Communion is such a powerful thing because no matter how long the church goes, if the Lord tarries for another hundred years, doesn't matter. The church will still be focused around the cross of Christ because we've been given this one ritual that we repeat over and over again. Baptism, you do it once. Now it's repeated because many people do it, but not one, one person doesn't do it over and over again. Now you can if you choose to, but that's not what it's for. It's for that one experience where you, the old man goes under the water, the new man comes out. It, it is not salvation. It's a sign of what God has already done in your life and in your heart. But the, the, the religious thing that we do over and over again is communion, which brings us to the cross because that is the center of what Christianity is. And when we use it for any other reason, that's a problem. And so I would be concerned about using it for health. Although someone might innocently come to God and have faith and God may want to heal them and they might pray and God would heal them. But I would say, don't tell people to take communion in order to be healed. Now, um, taking unworthy manner, just salvation, but God promised physical healing as well. Um, no, I don't think that God did promise physical healing as well. I don't think there's any place where he said that he would. Um, and then you ask, is fear a spirit? Uh, no, it's an attitude. I, I don't think that there's a spirit of fear, like a demonic spirit that's running around putting fear in people. Um, we could talk about, we could get into demon possession and demon oppression and the spirit of fear the, that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power. And the Holy Spirit is of power, but the power that we have comes from the Holy Spirit. So hopefully those answers, those questions, Jari, I appreciate that. Um, Albert, good to see you. Albert has a question. Albert says, hello, Pastor. Revelation 9.14 speaks of demons bound by the Euphrates River. Do you believe there are places on earth that are infested by demons? Thank you. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's go to Revelation 9.14. Uh, by the way, while I'm looking this up, we are starting our study in the book of Revelation tonight. And um, it is an in-depth look at the book, and we are covering all the aspects of it. We want to understand it, but it doesn't mean that there. by the time we're done, that there won't be any mystery. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to, at certain points, go, this is what some people say, and this is what some other people say. Now, we, we may end up leaving with some mystery in the book of Revelation because it's a, a, it's, a, it's a book full of mystery and it's for the future. And I think it was mis mysterious on purpose. And um, so we are teaching the book of Revelation tonight. And um, I'm looking forward, we'll just cover three verses, the first three verses, talk about the book in general. Um, I think it's gonna be a great study. So Albert says, Revelation 9.14, and uh, here's what it says. Let me put it up on the screen for you. 
It says, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. What an absolutely frightening passage. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision, and those that sat on them had breastplates and fiery red. So, um, yeah, I guess these would be uh, evil demonic spirits that are bound there. Uh, it doesn't say they were evil. So is there a possibility that they weren't? Looking back at it again here, uh, it says, saying to the sixth angel, who had the trumpet released the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So these messengers that were bound and who had been prepared for that hour, that day, that month, and that year. Uh, so let's see what your question is about that. Uh, pretty scary passage. Uh, Revelation 914 speaks of demons bound by their Euphrates river. Do you think there are places on earth that are infested by demons? It's interesting that in the Old Testament, there's not one demon that's cast out in all of the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes on the scene and we have all of these demons that are cast out. It seems like the area of the Galilee and Jerusalem was infested by all of these demons and Jesus ended up delivering so many people. Could it be that they were there because they knew the prophecies of Daniel of when the Messiah was gonna be there? And so they were there battling against it. And that when Jesus encountered them, he cast them out. And why don't we see that number of, of demon possessions today? Now, there are people who claim that they do, but the demon possessions are not like the biblical demon possessions. It's kind of like tongues on the day of Pentecost. People will talk about tongues today, but it's different than it was on the day of Pentecost. And they'll talk about people being demon possessed, but you got people who are pretty much managing their lives, they're not running around in a graveyard, breaking chains and harassing people. They're not, they're, they are, they're not demon possessed the way that people were in the Bible. And then they take them into a room and they pray over them and they deliver them. And they claim that their life has changed. I wonder about those type of things. I wonder if it isn't something like the faith healers do. You take somebody in a room, you start screaming at them and hollering at them, and maybe there's a real life change that happens to them, and they might be able to go on and tell a testimony. I was bound, and I used to do pornography, but then they cast, I used to watch a lot of pornography, then they cast a demon out of me, and now I'm delivered, and I don't watch pornography anymore. If there's not some kind of, of an adrenaline that happens or something that causes them to take it serious and to realize this is the point that I need to break it. And so from then on out, they're going around telling people, I was addicted to pornography and I had the demon cast out of me and you got to have a demon cast out of you and then you'll be set free from pornography as well when the Bible doesn't say to do that. It says that we are to take our thoughts captive. It says to delight in, in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart, not to delight in the world or to delight in pornography. And if you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, from the spirit you will reap life. So that's the way that we battle it. Um, back to your question. <laughs> do I think there's places that are infested with demons? Um, I just don't know. I, I trying to think biblically, whether there's anything that would say that 
I hesitate to look at the demonic world and to say that, that anything that that presents is true. Like you may see a lot of demon possession in India. And people would say, well, that's an infested country. But Satan's such a deceiver. He deceives all of the time that I do not want to take anecdotal evidence and apply that as if it were the word of God. In other words, if I'm talking to someone and I find out they've got a real struggle in their life, then I found out that they had some kind of demonic past. And I think that there's a problem with this person and demon. And I said, let me pray for you. And I lay my hand on them. And I say, in the name of Jesus, I command you demon to leave them alone and come out in the name of Jesus. And then that person is delivered. And I go, wow, well, anytime I see that someone has had in their past some kind of demonic activity, which I think could be the case, excuse me, which I think could be the case of anyone. Sorry, I had some pistachios before floating around in the back of my mouth here. All right, so now for me to think that what's happened to that one person is now what demon possession is all about is problematic. But that's exactly how books on demonology are written, and it's exactly how people do things. They take their own experiences as if they're the word of God and they believe that they are true. I don't think that that's the case. I want to know what the Bible says because Satan is such a liar and such a deceiver. And um, I don't know of any place in the Bible that we could talk about demons infesting, except for maybe Revelation 9. And um, maybe, maybe there are more and we might be able to talk about that. But really good question, Albert. And... Um, if we do find out that there's a place in the Bible that talks about demons infesting it, then let me know so I can stay away from it. <laughs> all right. Um, we want to be careful how we build our, de our demonology. That's all. The Bible tells us how to deal with it. And it it's rarely in the way that people deal with it. And that's what frustrates me is that people are dealing with people. You're dealing with people. You're not, this is an ex ex experiment on dogs you're dealing with people with real issues then you're putting them in a room and talking to them like they're in the third person going for hours and then claiming that they're delivered when the bible if that were the case don't you think the bible would say if you've got a problem in your flesh you've got a problem with drunkenness then take them in the room and pray for them and cast the spirit of drunkenness out of them don't you think the bible would say that don't you think acts would do it at one point don't you think jesus would have said it at some point but you're practicing something that is unbiblical. It's not just that the Bible is silent about it. You're ignoring what the Bible says about how to handle it as a, in, a, in a preference to doing this anecdotal evidence and deliverance of people that, are, that, that really are wrong, really and truly. All right. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't know of any place, although I mean, I'm sure there's places where where demons are. It seems like in Babylon, when Gabriel showed up, well, he was fighting the prince of Persia and the prince of uh, and the prince of Greece, which were powers, kingdoms that were going to come. So we have a follow up now. Thank you, Albert. Good question. We have follow up from uh, Empress Kimberly. Kimberly, good to see you. Good to have you here with us again. Follow up, hi, Pastor. Why do you think God allows these faith healers to pray upon the church? Is it because he doesn't want to have 
the wheat pulled up with the tares. Okay, Kimberly, thank you very much. So you're referencing the, the parable Jesus told about a, a man who had an enemy and he sowed a field with wheat and the enemy came and sowed tares in the field and tares will hurt wheat. But God says, wait until the harvest and then you can see clearly to separate them lest you pull up some of the wheat with the tares. Uh, why does God allow any false teaching? Why does God allow the Jehovah Witnesses to, to persuade people to believe in their false teaching or the Mormons to teach that it's the same Jesus. And many, many people are believing that now. Many people are buying the line that the, the, the Mormons are saying that they serve the same Jesus. So much so that when Dallas Jenkins from The Chosen came out and said, while he was inter being interviewed by a Mormon, by the way, we serve the same Jesus that he stood his ground. He said, I'll die, I'll die on this. Later on, he clarified and said, what I meant were certain people that I know who are Mormons serve the same Jesus as me. So that they don't believe what Mormonism teaches about Jesus. They believe what they believe, which would make them not Mormon. But can a Mormon, could a Mormon receive Jesus as their savior and believe that he is the son of God, the creator of the universe, not the brother of Jesus as Mormonism teaches, not a human who progressed into Godhood like Mormonism teaches and be saved? Sure, yes. Is it as common as what people like to think? I don't know. I heard someone say one time that they had a friend who said they were Mormon, but when you talk to him, he believed everything about Jesus that the same thing he believed. So that he was a Christian, not a Mormon. Uh, he just thought he was a Mormon. Ah, I, I'm, I'm not sure that that's true. So I think, Kimberly, that God allows false teachers. And God says, you take heed that you are not deceived. It's our responsibility to make sure we are not received. Because just like God allows sickness and disease, um, thieves, evil men, God allows these evil men to take advantage of people who are Christians, who are the most vulnerable. And it's up to other people like us or like myself as a pastor to be able to stand up and say, these things are wrong and God is going to judge you one day for doing these kind of things and even calling them by name. People really get angry when I start calling the names of these individuals, but they need to be called out by name because the church needs to know so we cannot be deceived by it. It's the way God set things up, Kimberly, uh, for us that we, he's not gonna protect us from it. Instead, we have to know what the truth is and be able to seek after the truth. And um, so, yeah, I don't know that it's the same reason for the uprooted tears, just going back to your question. Um, I think rather God allows deceivers to go out into the world. And in the latter days, there will be more of them, doctrines of demons heaping up for themselves, teachers who will tickle their ears, there's going to be more and more of it. That's why in Luke 21, when the disciples said, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? He says, be careful that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the day is near. Don't follow them. Now, the day is near is a reference to people who say the rapture is going to happen before this time. And I would like to give a warning to all pastors out there who are saying that Jesus is going to come back before 80 years of the um, Israel becoming a nation. They say they use the fig tree 
and that this generation will by no means pass away until the coming of the Son of Man, to say that that was Israel becoming a nation in 1948, and then 80 years later uh, is 1928. And so Jesus has to come back before 1928, and you subtract seven years from that, and you get 21, and so you've already got problems for if you believe in the preacher of rapture. But I'm hearing these people talk like this, and they sound just like William Miller did in 1844 when he said that's the date. He didn't pick a date. He said Jesus is going to come back by 1844, October, whatever it was, 1844. The Jehovah Witnesses actually picked dates, and they came and went. Then they finally said Jesus came back secretly, which is, by the way, what others have done as well, that he came back secretly because they just won't admit that they're wrong as they as they do that. So um, why am I talking about that? Uh, let's see. Um, oh, well, just these false teachers that are out there and that God expects us to have enough, know the truth enough and make sure that we are not deceived. And it amazes me how many people follow these faith teachers, how many people follow these teachers that are nothing more than motivational speakers and they believe in the same thing. They believe God wants you to be healed. They believe God wants you to be rich. And how many people follow them? They are heaping up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. And they really ought to be spoken against. All right. So thank you very much, uh, Kimberly, for that question. Not really sure. I didn't go on a tangent and not answer it. Um, so uh, we have a question from Iris. And Iris says, Pastor, does God punish us with illness? I think the answer to that can be a yes. When the church didn't take communion in a worthy manner, some of them were sick. Paul talks about handing someone over to Satan for the destruction of the body that the soul might be saved. And I don't know of any passage that would allow us to think that God would have been doing it in that day, but not doing it in our day. So yeah, as a, as a Christian, if you are playing games, could God discipline you? The Bible says that the disciplining of God is grievous, but it brings forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And when you are sick, one of the things to do is to seek God and to see, is there anything I need to change? Is there anything you're trying to say to me? Are you trying to communicate to me by this illness? Ask that God would, would heal you uh, and, and then seek God. So could the illness that you're struggling with, that anybody's struggling with, be a punishment from God for, to one of his children? And I would say yes. Um, now, could it be just like Job, where the enemy was able to come and put sickness on someone and God didn't deliver him? And God had his purposes for what he was doing with Job? And I think the answer to that is yes. I think these are very complicated subjects when we start talking about God punishing with illness, God allowing Job to be able to be sick, Paul given a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. These are all um, really difficult topics to be able to cover, but it's good for us to understand them. And uh, yeah, I think that God, the discipline of God is grievous. And so... But, but it does bring forth a peaceable fruit of righteousness. And in the end, Iris, we're going to go, you know what? God knew what he was doing. And I'm glad that God disciplined me because I, I, was, I was going astray. Um, what does the Bible say? Before I went astray, 
um, trying to think of the verse. I think there's a verse that talks about um, the difficulty in life. And I can't remember what the difficulty is. Before I went astray, this happened. And, you know, I, I wish I could remember the verse exactly. Maybe some of you guys can remember what verse I'm trying to remember now and put it in the comment section uh, that's out there. Um, so <clears throat> good to see you guys. Good to see you, Psychman. Um, so Psychman has a question. Psychman says, I was married for, I was married, uh, I was 21, married, unemployed for months. Sent needed money to prosperity teachers. All right. Quit sending um, out resumes, convinced God would give me a job anyway. Silly. God helps those who help themselves. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't see the question in there. Um, silly. Oh, you're asking, is that silly? Um, I mean, you're 21 years old. Um, my dad was 37 years old when he was taken in by this faith healer. I don't know if it's silly. It's more sad than anything for us not to for us not to believe that. I mean, for us to believe those kind of things. Um, God helps those who help themselves. Eh, that's not really a scripture. I would say in all things, acknowledge God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So God helps those who help themselves. I mean, God wants me to provide for my family. That's for sure. Otherwise, I'm considered worse than an unbeliever. So I do need to provide for my family. And I think there's some principles in that I need to be going out and doing certain things for God to really turn around and help me. I think those principles are there. Um, but I don't think that the God helps those who help themselves is a biblical principle. I think he might be able to make the argument, you need to go out and do these things. Like the guy who's waiting for a job, kind of like you stop sending out resumes and you, you say, go get a job and uh, let God take care of you through getting you a job. All right, so thank you, Psych Man. I appreciate that, I appreciate you. So we have a question from Kay. Kay, good to see you. Kay says, is it true that we can block healing and blessing, yet also open demonic doors through objects, pictures, CD album covers <clears throat> around the house that we don't know we even have tossed in the attic? All right, Kay, well, this is a really interesting question for us to consider. Is it possible that somewhere in my house, I have in one of my boxes somewhere, because we move from house to house, I have boxes from previous moves, and that in there is a, I don't know, I'm trying to think of what would be, I would say Alice Cooper, but Alice Cooper's a Christian. Um, we used to think that the Eagles Hotel California had Anton LaVey in the window. I don't think it, that he was there. And I don't think they did that song. I don't think that Hotel California is about the Antichrist. But um, what about the tattoo that we talked about earlier? Let's use that as an example. So this, this uh, she has a tattoo on her arm of the New Age movement. So is it possible that this could block healing, blessing, open up demonic doors through, because she has this object that's tattooed on her body. CD album covers around the house that you don't even know of. So my answer would be no. 
uh, the, the, the objects themselves do not have any power over you. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he doesn't sin and the evil one does not touch him. Those objects are powerless and it is superstitious. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, I made air quotes, you know, superstitious uh, to think that some object is going to bring some demonic problem into your life. Now, if you are loving something that is truly demonic, if you are involved in something that is truly demonic, that could cause problems, but not some object uh, that you have around your house that you might connect to it. I don't see anything that would be like that ever in scripture. And what I would be looking for, okay, and this is really helpful to understand how it is that we really come to doctrine. So if, if this were the case, if I could have something around my house that is, I'm just trying to look to see if I've got anything that might be considered such. I don't think I do. Um, I've been a Christian a long time. I don't have a lot of paraphernalia from when I was before I came to Christ. Um, okay, if some object that I could keep, like an album cover from some band, uh, I do have um, the Highwaymen here, which is um, uh, Johnny Cash, uh, oh, who were the Highwaymen? Uh, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, and um, um, Waylon Jennings, no. Um, how, what, what's the guy's name? The other guy like on the road again, just wait, wait to get on the road again. Anyway, I have that here because my son gave it to me because when we went on a road trip years ago to Lake Powell, we listened to it on the road and it really spoke to him. So for my birthday a couple of years ago, he bought the album and bought, brought it to me so I could set it up and remember our time together. Um, so if there's something on that album that is demonic because one of them didn't believe in God, it's not gonna affect me. And if that was the case, then Jesus would have said something about it. Then the apostles would, there'd be something in the book of Acts that would be about finding that object and getting rid of it. Then there would be direction in the epistles on how we are to take care of it within the church. We need to find the object and get rid of it. But because Jesus never talked about it, the disciple, the, the practice of the church in the book of Acts didn't deal with it. And the epistles didn't deal with it. And we can't find anything in the Old Testament that would suggest it or, or represent it, which would be much less more powerful than Jesus talking about it, the practice of the church, and then the epistles written to the church. So then we don't got to worry about it. Does that mean you might not want to get something, get rid of something that you know is demonic? Yeah, you probably want to get rid of it for your own conscience sake, for, for your own sake that you know that it's, it's evil. And so you probably want to get rid of it unless you're just so you know, strong in your faith that you go, I realize I'm, you know, that has no power. And it's Jesus Christ that's in me, which is much greater than anything that is in the world. Jesus told the disciples in Luke, behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. We're told in, um, when Jesus was at Caesarea Philippi, he told Peter on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Now, we've been given some warnings about not giving place to the devil. So it's possible that we could give place to the devil, but I don't think it's talking about any kind of objects, okay? Um, if, if you, again, if you think it's sin for you to have an object that's been connected in some way in your mind to either some real occult practice or some fake occult practice, 
Because remember that Satanism, the Mike Warnke Satanism from the 70s was all fake. And we could talk about that if you want to. Then it shows the danger of, of those kind of things. So yeah, okay, I don't think um, we're, you're going to block healing or blessings. You know what can block healings or block your prayers? Is not treating people properly. The Bible says husband's prayers can be blocked because he's not treating his wife properly. Think about that. What God cares about most of all is the way we treat one another. Not that we might have an, an album cover in our house, the the greatest hits of the Eagles that has a uh, the picture of that, the, the bulls or the cow's uh, skull that supposedly has some demonic stuff on it. I don't think it does. I think all of that was not true. But if it was true that that would hinder my prayers, but I'm treating my wife badly, and that's not going to hinder them when the Bible says that your prayers can be hindered. So the way we're treating people can stop us from hearing from God and receiving from God. Um, and that's what God cares about most of all. And I think that the discipline would be connected in the way that we're treating people in our lives. All right, Kay. So thank you very much for that question. Um, and let's see. Um, Thank you guys for just saying hi and um, asking God to bless me. I really appreciate that. And it, it's my privilege, by the way. I see the comments on here saying, thank you for answering our questions. What a privilege for me, a pastor of 36 years, going on 37, to be able to come in and to take all of this time spent in the scriptures and to be able to help really understand what the Bible says and to really be on this truth quest together. I really do take it that way. And I really appreciate you. And good to have Keith here, Keith Roche, um, our moderator uh, for uh, our Q&A. Really good to have you here. All right. And um, always, Keith, always good to have you here and just kind of watching over things. Uh, but it is good to see you guys. And we have another question from Renee. Renee is from Facebook. This is going to be a big question. I'm going to fill the screen here. So let's see what we do here. Boom. All right. There it is. All right. So um, Renee says, that's interesting. Huh. All right. So I'm just seeing something new on my, there's a little picture in picture um, that's gone now. Oh, there it is. All right. That's up on my screen. All right, here we go. Question. Are the people still saved or do I continue to pray for those who are so deceived with false teaching regarding faith healing? My ex-son-in-law is so heavily involved in the faith healing, running with Peter Popoff, um, up, etc. <clears throat> My heart grieves for them. Excuse me. I tried to tell them that it is a false teaching, but all they do is get angry with me. But that's okay because I believe that the Lord will open their eyes to it one day. Thank you, Pastor Robert. So only God knows the heart of whether or not they're really saved. And if someone were so lacked such discernment that they would believe Peter Popoff, who has been caught. They did investigations with him where they caught him doing it and people still denied it, where they caught him doing the kind of stuff that I was talking about, selecting people from the, uh, from the audience. You've got the adrenaline factor that's involved in it, having an earpiece and telling people that they had the word of knowledge. And, and if people still believe him, ah, man, it's a hard one, but I don't want to judge him. Uh, could someone believe in 
you know, go to Benny Hinn Crusades, believe Benny Hinn is doing a great work of God, give their money to Benny Hinn and still be a Christian. Yeah, they could. Is it likely? Probably not. So it would be rare. Uh, so I would, I don't know if I would be praying. I'm careful not to judge people as to whether or not they're really genuinely saved. I want to be careful with that because Jesus told me not to judge people and I don't know where they're at. So I'll just, I, I tell people, listen, you're not serving God. And I think that's maybe an important thing, but I mean, you're dealing with someone in your family, you know, and you're, and you're just not going to be sitting over dinner and say, you know, you're not serving God because you listen to Peter Popoff and these family meals turn into something that's awful. Um, I would, if I were you, if I had a son-in-law, ex-son-in-law that believed this, I would be praying for them. I would look for an opportunity to share. I would look for the Holy Spirit to open up a door. I might be moved to write them a letter or to send them a text that tells them the truth, but I probably would stay away from confrontation in family settings. I don't know how good that is. I mean, you want to be obedient to the move of the Spirit, and, and we don't want to say that you can never do something because God, through the move of the Spirit, could do something that's different than what we would normally think. But um, I would think that if these guys are following these faith healers, that they have very poor discernment at, at the best and could possibly be unsaved because they're seeking God for these, for these reasons. All right. So I would be praying for their salvation is what I would be doing, Renee. I would be asking God to give you wisdom, to be able to share with them what the truth is, that they would reject these false teachers and hang on to what is true. All right. So we have another question from Fact Check These Hands. Uh, good to see you, by the way. Fact Check These Hands. And Fact Check These Hands says, question, what causes some to have more faith than others? Example, those with a lot of faith since childhood, but little religious upbringing versus those with strong religious upbringing and a little faith. Great question. Fact Check These Hands. I really like it. Um, remember, Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that's why I told the story of the two guys that kept the Passover, one of them without very much faith at all, but the Passover saved his child. The other one with great faith and the Passover changed, saved his child. So I think there's the gift of faith for one thing. I think some people struggle with really trusting God for another, but you still have faith. You can still believe. There's not anybody who can't believe. People who say, I just can't believe. Look, you trust people all the time. You, when you drive down a freeway with a center line and a car's coming at you at 50 miles an hour and your trustee is going to stay in your lane, you guys are going 100 miles an hour at least in, at each other. And anything that could happen within that fraction of a second that they're not paying attention and you trust them explicitly to be able to go from one place to another. And then you say, I can't trust God. It's like you could. You could make a decision to believe. Even if you had doubts, I could say, I don't know if they're going to stay in that lane. I don't know. I'm still going to drive down that road. I'm still going to put my trust in it. Even though I don't know if they're going to stay in that lane, you can make that decision with faith. I think sometimes we get confused about faith. Faith is not confidence. Um, faith is trusting what God says. When God says to, um, well, let's just think about this. When God says in, I think it's Matthew 6, 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. 
is it 33 or 34? Uh, yeah. All right. So, so God says here, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The, all these things are spoken of before is what you eat, drink, or wear. So you go, you know what? This is God telling me he's going to take care of my needs if I seek the kingdom of God first. So the person of faith says, I'm going to start seeking the kingdom of God first. I'm going to stop worrying about what I eat, drink, or wear, and I'm going to start seeking God's kingdom and let God take care of me. That's faith. That's exactly what faith is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you read God's word. God's word told you to do something. You did it. And now you've received what God's word has said. For example, the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And so you said, Lord, come into my life. And people say, ah, that's too easy. That's easy believism. But you go, the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and I'll be saved. And I've called on his name and he has forgiven me of my sins. John 1, 12 says, as many as receive him, he gives the right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. So you believe in him and you receive him. That's faith. Faith is when you hear what God wants you to do in response to what he has for you and you do it. That's what faith is. Some people have great faith and it's very easy for them to trust God and step out in faith and have ventures of faith. Other people really struggle with, you know, having enough faith. I mean, when it comes to giving, is one of those areas. Some people are very generous and say, hey, God told me to be generous. When I give, God's gonna give back to me, press down, shake it together and run it over. So I'm gonna give and I have no problem. I have no problem being generous with people because God's gonna give back to me. Other people are scared to death. They're, they hold on to it and they aren't blessed. There's a proverb that says, or a Psalm, I guess it's a proverb. There is one who scatters and receives more and one who keeps more than is necessary and leads to starvation. That's a sowing analogy, a farming analogy of sowing uh, seed in a field. You've got, you can't keep it all. You've got to sow it. It's not talking about getting rich. It's just talking about living your life and that God will take care of you if you are generous. That's faith. And so that's a perfect opportunity to live by faith. When someone persecutes you and you go, well, the Bible says I'm supposed to rejoice when someone persecutes me. So you literally rejoice. You go home you tell your husband or your wife, I'm being persecuted at work. I'm, 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 I'm honored to be persecuted for Christ. That's faith. That's trusting God. That's believing him. That's faith. Faith is not just this over, overwhelming confidence. I'll give you one more example, one more analogy. Two men are in New York, one from Africa, never seen an elevator. The other one lives in New York and sees elevators all the time. So the guy from Africa gets in the elevator He's got to go to the 10th floor. He's got an address in his hand. Someone told him to go to the elevator and he got in it. And he shows someone who's in there and they tell him, point to the button with 10. He doesn't know what's happening. He said, if I touch the 10th button and he's not even sure anything's going to happen and he touches it, the elevator closes and it takes him to the 10th floor and he gets to the place of the address. He didn't believe pressing the button was going to work. He didn't really understand an elevator. But another guy lives in New York and he's got the address and he goes up, you know, it's on the 10th floor. He goes in and presses the button knowing the door is going to close and take him to the top. He's got great confidence. Which one did faith work for? Both. The guy who was barely struggling and the guy that had a great amount of faith. That's why Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this tree, be removed and be cast into the sea. All right, so that is going to, it's actually past our time today. I really do appreciate you guys. I love hanging out with you. I hope that the Lord will really blesses you. I truly do. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 
If you've submitted a question, I'll take a look at it and see if it's something we want to add, like I did this one, to the beginning of uh, our, our one of our, our future Q&As. I see a, a couple of questions here. So I will get this. Keith will send me. Um, gosh, we um, had so much go on beyond where I was. <clears throat> so um, Keith will send me the log, and I'll look at those questions, all right? So God bless you guys. Stay close to Jesus. I love you. Uh, continue to seek God's word, look for direction from how God's word tells you to live and um, shun superstition and put your heart upon God to live wholeheartedly for him. Uh, we will be uh, in the book. Actually, this Saturday, we're going to do a, a teaching on defending the rapture of the church, the pre-trib rapture. I believe strongly in the pre-trib rapture. Um, I don't always get as opinionated about something but I believe it and I want to share why. So we just finished Luke 21 and we're starting the book of Revelation tonight. So I want to take the next two Sundays and I want to do a teaching on defending the pre-trib rapture. And then the following week, I want to respond to objections about the pre-trib rapture. I just want people to really understand, and we saw this last week, that the rapture is really a resurrection. The rapture of the church is only a smaller part of a bigger event, the resurrection. And the rapture of the church is just the people who are alive and remain that get caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So we'll be talking about that this week and tonight, the first three verses in Revelation chapter one. So you can join us for that Bible study. All right. So God bless you guys. I'm going to go ahead and sign out. We will see you all later on. Stay close to Jesus. All right. Hey, treat people the way you want to be treated. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing that, you know that you will please God. God bless you guys. Love you. We'll see you later on.